Zechariah, in the fourth chapter, this was the passage of emphasis for our moderator of our denomination uh, this year. And I'll read these verses for us, the fourth chapter, verses 1 through the first part of verse 10. And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? I said, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on the top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line the hand of Zerubbabel. I want you to think with me to a time when you remember something important, something very much beloved that was destroyed. Maybe it was destroyed by fire. Maybe it was destroyed by decision. Maybe it was destroyed by a tornado or a hurricane. And what you felt like, and what the other people around you felt like. I'm not trying to bring up a sore subject, but I read that many tears were shed when the old train depot was destroyed in Rock Hill. I think that was back in the early 70s. I remember. remember in the aftermath of Hurricane Hugo in 1989. I was living in Gastonia at the time, and Gastonia had it as bad as the Rock Hill area did. And I remember Sarah and I coming out of our house that next morning and walking down the street to visit with our neighbors a moment, neighbors we didn't know very well, but neighbors who had experienced terrible devastation because an oak tree about this long split their house right down the middle. And I remember the look on their face. It was a deer in the headlights kind of look. They, you know, the, the devastation was so raw and so real that they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to respond. They didn't know what to say. It takes time for people to bounce back in situations like that. And it takes 
see in this passage before us this morning, we see the right perspective and we see words of hope. And the reason the Israelites needed these words is because we can read the story in 2 Kings 25 of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and how he and his army besieged the city of Jerusalem for more than two years. Can you imagine living in a city under siege for that many days? And the city finally fell. And when the Babylonian army went inside, they burned everything. They burned the temple. They burned the king's palace. They burned every house of means in the whole city of Jerusalem. They tore down the walls. They looted the contents of the temple. They just destroyed everything. And all of this took place around 587 B.C. But you know, the Bible teaches us, it gives us a spiritual principle in both Testaments that you reap what you sow. You should know that principle. You should practice it in your life and remember that we always reap what we sow. And the Babylonian army had reaped a lot of destruction. It sowed a lot of destruction, and they began to replant about 50 years later when the Persian army and a king by the name of Cyrus. Cyrus not only conquered Babylon, but he, he wrote a decree in 538 B.C. allowing the captive Jews to return Palestine, and he encouraged them to rebuild their temple. Now, if you did the math, 587 to 538, we're talking about 49 years would pass from the time of destruction to when the Jews were allowed to return to the Holy Land. In other words, some of those returning would have been alive to have remembered seeing the original Solomon's temple and all of its glory. This is why the prophet Haggai, who ministered at the same time as Zechariah, writes in his second chapter that the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, speak now to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? see it now. Is it not in your sight as nothing? This is the kind of attitude that these prophets and the governor and leaders are having to deal with as they seek to rebuild a demolished city and a demolished temple and everything else. There's so much destruction around that they can't get a hand on how they're going Perspective. 
Thank you. 
Seven, we read, Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a 
he shall bring forward the stone of their shouts of grace. Grace to us. The mountain that Zechariah's talking about there is this mountain of rubble from all of that destruction. I mean, just imagine all of the broken up stones that would have been everywhere. It's just a mountain of, of devastation. choosing one stone out of that rubble to serve as the first stone laid in the foundation to rebuild the temple. As he lays that stone, the people shout what amounts to a blessing, grace, grace to it, really asking God to bless it. And once the foundation is finished, they would place in that foundation a tin receptacle. That's what those words plumb line refer to. That's not what the words plumb line mean to you and me. We've never done carpentry. But that's the Hebrew behind that translation. It's a tent receptacle, much like we would put a historical cornerstone in the foundation of a building and put stuff that are things that are important to us in there. You know, we've got some historical cornerstones around here. The reason we do that in buildings is because they did it in ancient times. That's what we see being mentioned here in this text. And now that you understand that, we'll move on to the words of hope. Whoever has despised the small things shall rejoice. In other words, they shall see that we can get the foundation laid. And once the foundation's laid, we can make it on to the next part of the project. And once that's completed, we can go on to the next. It's like the proverbial question, how do you eat an elephant? You eat an elephant one bite at a time. One small thing built on another small thing and another until progress is made. an illustration of that going on in this congregation right now. You know, we have this capital campaign that's paying for the gym renovation as well as other maintenance issues like large maintenance issues like the restoration of these stained glass windows that's been ongoing for the past four weeks or so. It's supposed to finish up this week, we think, except so interested in how much you each give. We're just interested that all participate together. Because Scripture teaches us right here that we're not to despise the small things. Because God can take any size gift and multiply its usefulness and its effectiveness. It's just important that we all participate together as the body of Christ. In February, well, this is February, later in February, you're going to get an update on this uh, campaign. But you're responding very well, I'll just say that. But the point is, it's the same way in the kingdom. Small things in the life of the church are always important. Jesus points that out to us in drawing our attention to the widow's offering that she makes in the temple 
see that the religious authorities had no respect for him when Nicodemus tried to stand up for Jesus. The scribes and Pharisees said, Search, and you will see that no prophet is to rise from Galilee. Before he was converted or knew Jesus at all, Nathaniel said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, Nazareth was such a backwater place, he was thinking in his own mind, How could something like the Messiah expect to be found in a place like Nazareth? How could a baby born in a manger be the king of the world? How could this one teacher and worker of miracles change all of history? Many have despised the small things of the kingdom. Yet do you remember what Jesus said about God's kingdom? Those kingdom parables, he gives us lots of little parables. And one day he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds of earth. And yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes the largest of shrubs. Yes, people continue to despise the small things. Especially in this world today, when everything has to be the latest and the greatest and the best, and we sometimes wonder. 